Thank you for tuning in to the Connor Chepnik Podcast. Today, I want to read two excerpts from this book, You Can't Make It Up. Get it? Immanuel Kant, the philosopher. It's by Gary Hayden. And every chapter is different. You know, they're kind of semi-related, but you can read them completely out of order. And uh, the two chapters I want to read are on selfishness and if all actions stem from selfishness, and then if there is actually virtue value in selfishness. So I'm going to read these two chapters, and then I'm going to do a, a read of an essay I put together, actually, after reading these two chapters to give my thoughts. If you want to support this podcast, I appreciate value for value. Leave me a comment about how I can improve this, what you're enjoying, what I can improve upon. Uh, like and subscribe, or if you're really feeling tipsy, send me some sats on my website, connorchepnick.com or binmucker.com. All right, let's get into it. So uh, the first chapter is chapter four, Selfish Motives. Does anyone ever perform a truly unselfish act? Surely the answer is yes. Every day we see examples of altruism and benevolence. People donate money to charity, volunteer time to worthwhile causes, and perform acts of kindness towards strangers. And yet there's a school of thought known as psychological egoism, which holds that none of these acts is truly altruistic, that they're all ultimately grounded in self-interest. But what selfish motives could anyone possibly have for performing them? The question was addressed by the English philosopher Thomas Hobbes, who lived between 1588 and 1679. Human nature. Hobbes is best known for his political work, Leviathan, which he set forth a science of politics, a blueprint for establishing a peaceful society. He began by identifying some basic facts about human nature, which he then used to predict how people would react to various circumstances. This, in turn, allowed him to prescribe a scientific form of government which will, will reliably lead to peace and security. The view of human nature from which Hobbes began is not a flattering one. He viewed individuals as greedy, competitive, and aggressive. He wrote, if any two men desire the same thing, which nevertheless they cannot both enjoy, they become enemies and endeavor to destroy or subdue one another. The Origin of Altruism Given that Hobbes viewed individuals as greedy and selfish, one might wonder how he accounted for the kinds of benevolent acts previously mentioned. His answer is that they are, in fact, motivated by self-interest. How so? Well, Hobbes said that in addition to being greedy and aggressive, people are also reasonable. They are capable of thinking about where their best interest lies. For example, they can see that unbridled greed and aggression lead to conflict and war, which endangers their lives. Therefore, they are willing to show regard for others in order to secure peace and safety for themselves. Building upon the unlikely foundation of individual self-interest, Hobbes proceeded to rebuild the entire moral code. In the dedication to his work on the citizen, he wrote, From these starting points, human greed and human reason, I believe I have demonstrated by the most evident inference the necessity of agreements and of keeping faith in thence elements of moral virtue and civil duties, helping others selfishly. Hobbes himself had a reputation for generosity and charitable giving. The antiquarian and writer John Aubrey gave a charming first-hand account of an occasion when Hobbes dug deep into his own pockets to relieve the distress of a beggar. This has every appearance of being an altruistic act, but Hobbes insisted that it was selfishly motivated. I was in pain to consider the miserable condition of the old man, and now my alms, giving him some relief, doth also ease me. All apparently selfless acts can be similarly reinterpreted. The young man who volunteers at the soup kitchen does so to feel good about himself and impress his friends. The mother who spends sleepless nights tending to a sick child is driven to do so by her own emotional needs. The soldier who saves his comrades by throwing himself on a grenade is prompted by a deep desire to think of himself and be thought of by others as a hero. Every act is a selfish act. So psychological egoists like Hobbes 
hold a more subtle theory than at first appears. They do not make the palpably false claim that people never act benevolently, but rather maintain that benevolent actions, properly understood, are grounded in self-interest. It is in fact possible to construct an argument that all actions must ultimately be self-interested. It runs as follows. Any act you perform voluntarily must be such that, on balance, you want to do it. Ultimately, then, you act to satisfy your own desires, which means that ultimately you act out of self-interest. But there seems to be some fancy footwork going on here. When confronted with actions that appear benevolent, the psychological egoist simply shifts the focus from outward behaviors to inner motivations. But inner motivations are private things, not open to inspection. The psychological egoist, then, appears to be doing nothing more than making an assumption about human motivation, one that cannot be tested, confirmed, or falsified. When presented with any behavior at all, she will insist that it is self-interested. Why? Because that is the assumption on which she operates. John, what that guy did was clearly unselfish. Jane, no, it appeared to be unselfish, but actually he had selfish motives. John, how can you possibly know that? Jane, because all actions are selfishly motivated. The argument that everything you do voluntarily must be something that you want to do, and is therefore selfishly motivated, is equally dubious. It assumes that you can't have non-self-interested desires, that everything you want, you want for selfish reasons, but this is the very issue under discussion. It cannot simply be assumed. So before I get to the next chapter I want to read, which is chapter 25, Selfishness is a Virtue, I gotta say, I prescribed to that same philosophy for a long time. The idea that every single act ever done was ultimately in one's own self-interest. And I think something changed when I had a kid, and it's hard to put into words, but I feel like you, you, you kind of learn an, a selfless love. And if you keep going down the thread of, well, why did that person do that action to extend their legacy, to be seen as a hero, to be a martyr, whatever it is, I feel like, A, you can't ever really understand someone's internal thoughts, but then B, those things are selfless actions, even if the person also is trying to maximize for whatever they want, which might be being a martyr or might be saving a life of someone. So it's a complicated issue and there's a lot of semantics, but I think at the end of the day, there are selfless acts and there are unselfless acts, you know, there are selfish acts. And I think being selfish, as we'll read in this next chapter, is super important, is super beneficial to society in a lot of ways. But yeah, it's always been an interesting question because I've, I've always wondered what is a truly selfless act where the person isn't doing it to benefit themselves in the long run for whatever reason it might be that they want to be a martyr, they want to be something that would cause them to act in a selfless way. You know, you might be thinking, oh, I can get it back to self-interest. And I just feel like after having a kid, a lot of the actions you do take are selfless because you put that person above you and that's a selfless. You know, you're, you're less obsessed with yourself and more obsessed with them in a way. I, I struggle to come up with the words to describe that type of love you have for a child, but I think it's a beautiful thing, and I think before, before having a child, I, I bought more into that philosophy, and I think this chapter just points out it's all kind of semantics, and at the end of the day, like, there are selfless acts, there are altruistic acts, there are benevolent acts, and we should optimize for those acts, even if that person is doing it because they want to feel better. Giving feels good. Helping others feels good. Providing value feels really, really good. 
Matter of fact, I'm so excited for the value for value that technologies like Noster and Bitcoin can enable. When you can just zap people, so a creator, someone who is trying to provide value to an audience, can earn actual value for whatever content they put out. I just think it creates such a better dynamic, such a better feedback loop where the creator can, you know, interact directly with their audience where they can make a living that way. They don't feel the need to bring in a third-party advertisement. Now, Athletic Greens, Manscaped, whatever. There, there's a lot of advertising that I, th I think people are more than happy to put up with because that creator's providing great value. But I think in some cases, whether it's FTX or you know, we'll see with Binance, whatever it is, if you're shilling a product that you might not shill otherwise because that product, you know, that company is paying you a lot of money to do so, well, I think incentives can be misaligned and I just think value for value does so much to help fix that. And uh, yeah, let me, let me get into this next part. Selfishness is a virtue, chapter 25, I got to scroll to it. I think what's so cool about this chapter is that I think one of the best ways to improve the world is to focus on yourself, right? To try and be selfish enough to take care of yourself, you know, to put yourself first above others. And then by leveling up yourself, you make the world a better place. You help educate others. You help be a positive source of joy, energy, vibrations, vibes, whatever. I think by focusing on yourself, uh, you make the world a better place. So here we are. Chapter 25, Selfishness is a Virtue. Most of us consider altruistic acts to be good and praiseworthy and consider self-interested acts to be morally neutral at best. We admire the talented doctor who puts her career on hold to treat malaria victims in Uganda. We do not admire the brilliant surgeon who rakes in the cash doing plastic surgery in Tinseltown. Altruism is, on the whole, a good thing. Selfishness is, on the whole, not such a good thing. Few would argue with that. But the Russian-American novelist and philosopher Ayn Rand, who lived between 1905 to 82, saw things differently. She claimed that selfishness is a virtue and altruism an evil. Egoism versus altruism. Rand was an egoist, not in the sense of having exaggerated sense of her own importance, though that may perhaps have been true, but in the sense of subscribing to the philosophical doctrine of ethical egoism that holds that our actions ought to be always grounded in self-interest, that selfishness is morally right and good. How did Rand reach this conclusion? Well, she began by stressing the intrinsic worth of each individual human being. Each person, she argued, by reason of their intrinsic worth, has the right to pursue their own happiness and well-being. Egoism recognizes this. Altruism, on the other hand, denies individual worth. It holds that man has no right to exist for himself, but must justify his existence through serving others. It, it upholds the self as the standard of evil, the selfless as a standard of the, of the good. It demands self-sacrifice, self-denial, and self-destruction. Traditionally, we have been led to believe that selfishness is wrong, said Rand. The image of, selfish, of the selfish man has been that of an unfeeling brute trampling others underfoot in pursuit of his own mindless whims we have been asked to choose between egoism characterized as a sacrifice of others to the self and altruism characterized as a sacrifice of the self to others this has been presented as a stark choice between evil and good so we have had little alternative but to choose altruism rand however pointed out pointed out that selfishness simply means pursuing one's own ends and interests and ought not to be understood with the usual negative connotation of brutishness and disdain for others. Similarly, egoism consists merely in the pursuit of one's happiness and well-being. It does not, indeed, ought not to, require the sacrifice of others to the self. This conception of egoism is neatly summed up by John Galt, a character in Ayn Rand Philosophical's novel Atlas Shrugged. I swear by my life and love of it that I will never live for the sake of another man, nor ask another man to live for mine. The evils of altruism. 
By Rand's account, then, altruism denies the intrinsic worth of the individual. She argued further that altruism has evil consequences. How so? Well, altruism teaches man that morality is his enemy. He grudgingly sacrifices himself for others in hopes that they may occasionally do the same for him. But this leads to bitterness and resentment all around. Do not confuse altruism with kindness, goodwill, or respect for the rights of others, Rand warned. Altruism makes such virtues impossible. Egoism, on the other hand, makes all of the principal virtues possible. The virtue of selfishness. Although Rand advocated the pursuit of self-interest, she repudiated what she called whim worship or hedonism. Man, she claimed, is, un is fundamentally a rational creature. Reason is his basic tool of survival. To be fu fully human, therefore, he must pursue his own rational self-interest. Anyone driven by mere whims, emotions, or instinct is guilty of living on a subhuman level. The rational egoist lives life by three fundamental principles. Reason, purpose, and self-esteem. These support virtues such as honesty, justice, integrity, independence, and the like, but they do not require the sacrifice of anyone to anyone else. Rand wrote, Do not hide behind such superficialities as whether you should or should not give a dime to a beggar. That is not the issue. The issue is whether you do or do not have the right to exist without giving them that dime. When men each pursue their own rational self-interest, Rand argued, those interests will not clash. Conflicts arise only when men desire the unearned, when they require the sacrifice of others to themselves. Reason dictates that men deal with one another through persuasion and cooperation rather than through threats, force, or fraud. Is Rand right? Stirring stuff. Here at least we have an ethics that doesn't oblige us to comfort the afflicted, tend the sick, or feed the hungry. But does Rand's argument stand up to scrutiny? Is it really okay, nay virtuous, to be selfish? A common objection to Rand's line of reasoning is that she presents us with a false dichotomy. That is, she presents us with two alternatives as though they were mutually exclusive when, in fact, they're not. She says, in effect, that you can be an out-and-out -out altruist and act only for others, or you can be an out-and-out -out egoist and act for yourself. But what's to stop you from taking the middle ground? What's to prevent you from sometimes acting for yourself and sometimes acting for others? You may even decide that since you are generally best placed to attend your own needs, while other people are generally, generally best placed to attend theirs, you ought, in the main, to act for yourself. But recognizing the intrinsic worth of individuals other than yourself, you may still sometimes feel an obligation to help others, especially those who are powerless to act for themselves. Rand accuses previous moral thinkers of presenting us with a stark choice between altruism and egoism. But this accusation is unjust. Most of them grant that our own ancestors are of at least equal value with the interests of others. It is not, then, Rand herself who polarizes the choice. Rand's influence. Ayn Rand's work hasn't had much influence on mainstream academic philosophy, but it has attracted a huge popular following. A survey conducted by the U.S. Library of Congress and the Book of the Month Club once asked readers which book had most influenced their lives. Atlas Shrugged came second only to the Bible. Her work is loathed, however, quite as, quite as often as it is admired. Her detractors often claim that her novels appear, appeal mainly to the immature. A well-known quotation from writer John Rogers circulated on the Internet expresses the point of expresses this point of view beautifully. There are two novels that can change a bookish 14-year-old's life, The Lord of the Rings and Atlas Shrugged. One is a child fantasy that often endangers a lifelong obsession with its unbelievable heroes, leading to an emotionally stunted, socially crippled adulthood, unable to deal with the real world. The other, of course, involves orcs. <laughs> I gotta say, personally, I'm a big fan of uh, Atlas Shrugged, Ayn Rand's work. And I, I think the author makes a good point that it's fair, like, they're not mutually exclusive, altruism and egoism. But I think what's really key in Ayn Rand's books is that the one thing that the quote-unquote bad guys in that book can do is weaponize 
the, the productive people in society's guilt. All right, so after reading those chapters last night, I wanted to take what I really appreciate about Hobbes and Ayn Rand's argument and then add you know, what I thought was kind of the important thing to take away from these arguments because I do kind of feel like a lot of whether or not all actions are self-interested, kind of getting into the semantics, when in my opinion what really matters is the outcome of that action. Was it a beneficial, you know, positive action or is it a negative one? regardless of what your motivation personally, internally, might have been. All right, so let's get into it. The ethical value of actions, intentions versus outcomes. And for those just listening, you see a picture of John Galt carrying the world on his back, uh, AI generated by Adobe's Firefly, or what, what is it? Is it Firefly? Yeah, Adobe's Firefly. Awesome product for those who haven't used it. Determining the ethical value of human behavior has been a subject of philosophical discourse for centuries with varying perspectives on the role of intentions and outcomes. Ayn Rand, a proponent of egoism and rational self-interest, offers insights that challenge a conventional view of altruism, while Thomas Hobbes asserts that self-interest ultimately underlies all human actions. This essay explores the perspectives of both Rand and Hobbes, arguing that intentions are insufficient in assessing ethical value and highlighting the virtues of selfishness and the self-interested nature of all actions regardless of their moral value. Ayn Rand's philosophy of egoism posits that individuals should pursue their own rational self-interest as the foundation of ethical behavior. Rand argues that placing oneself as the primary beneficiary of one's actions is not only morally justifiable, but also essential for personal well-being in the advancement of society. From Rand's perspective, intentions alone do not provide a reliable basis for evaluating ethical worth, as they may be influenced by societal expectations or subjective interpretations of moral values. In today's terms, I think a lot about virtue signaling. That was the point I was trying to make. There's way more virtue signaling going on than actually getting down to the root, the cause of the issue, thinking from first principles. It seems to me personally that people would rather virtue signal than try and fix the problem from a first principles perspective. I digress. Rand emphasizes the importance of outcomes as a means of assessing ethical value. By evaluating the positive consequences that result from self-interested actions such as personal fulfillment, individual growth, and the creation of value for oneself and others, Rand suggests that these outcomes are indicative of moral action. The pursuit of self-interest, when guided by reason and a respect for individual rights, can lead to the betterment of society as a whole. Similarly, Thomas Hobbes argues that self-interest ultimately drives all human actions, irrespective of their moral value. Hobbes posits that individuals are inherently motivated by the desire for self-preservation and the avoidance of suffering. From Hobbes' perspective, actions that may seem altruistic or morally upright still stem from a self-interested motive, whether it be the desire for social acceptance, personal satisfaction, or the avoidance of guilt. Hobbes' position aligns with Rand's perspective on the self-interested nature of all actions. According to Hobbes, even seemingly selfless acts are ultimately driven by self-interest because they serve to uphold social order, minimize conflict, and promote personal well-being. Hobbes contends that individuals engage in acts of kindness or charity because they believe it will contribute to their own happiness or reputation within society. Thus, Hobbes argues that self-interest is the underlying motivation behind all human behavior, regardless of whether it is morally good or bad. In conclusion, both Ayn Rand's egoistic perspective and Thomas Hobbes' emphasis on self-interest provide compelling arguments against the notion that intentions alone determine ethical value. 
Rand highlights the virtues of selfishness and rational self-interest, suggesting that positive outcomes resulting from self-interested actions contribute to the advancement of society. Hobbes, on the other hand, posits that all actions, regardless of their moral value, are ultimately driven by self-interest. By considering the perspectives of Rand and Hobbes, we can acknowledge the complexity of human motivations and recognize that ethical evaluation should extend beyond intentions to encompass the outcomes of our actions as well. It is my personal opinion, when assessing the ethical value of our behavior, we can't rely solely on intentions. While intentions provide insight into motivations, ethical evaluation should primarily focus on the outcomes our actions generate. It is essential to recognize that taking responsibility for our actions entails considering the consequences they produce and striving for positive outcomes that benefit both us as an individual and society as a whole. While self-interest may influence human behavior, it does not negate the existence of both cruel and empathetic actions. Ultimately, ethical conduct requires self-reflection, conscious decision-making, and an unwavering commitment to accepting responsibility for the impact we have on others. Blaming others for our actions never leads to a better outcome. It is better to be honest, admit our mistakes, and seek redemption rather than engaging in deceit and shifting blame. By adopting these principles, we can contribute to a more ethical and compassionate world. Bitcoiners often emphasize the mantra, fix the money, fix the world, highlighting the belief that by addressing flaws in the existing financial system, positive global change can be achieved. While I agree with this sentiment, I would propose an even more encompassing perspective, fix yourself, fix the world. This alternative statement emphasizes the vital role, vital role of personal responsibility, self-improvement, and embodying positive values as a means to create a transformative impact by focusing on our own growth and values. We can not only contribute to positive changes on an individual level, but also aspire and influence the world around us, leading to a more profound and holistic transformation. Yeah, so thank you guys for watching. Let me know what your thoughts are in the comments down below. I think there's a lot of paradoxes and catch-22s when you start talking about this stuff, because on the one hand, it seems so counterintuitive to look inwards to try and fix the problems in the world. Um, but I, I really do believe that looking inwards, doing everything you can to be the best version of yourself is the most optimal way to improve the world. And uh, that doesn't seem so obvious on the face of it, but as far as I can tell, if, there, if there's one takeaway to take from this book, from the essay I wrote, I think it's that work on yourself, focus on fixing yourself, and that will in turn make the world a much better place. So yeah, uh, again, like, subscribe. If you wanna help this podcast, you know, I love value for value. I think it's an awesome way to uh, return the favor. So yeah, let me know what you guys love. Let me know what you guys disagreed with. and. Uh, Thanks for tuning in to the Connor Shepard Podcast. Appreciate all you.